everybody, and welcome back to Scale with Predictable Success, where we welcome leaders who are using predictable success to scale their own organizations. And today, I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking with the president and CEO of Spirion, Kevin Coppins. And we're going to hear a lot about Spirion uh, during the course of our call. But first of all, welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Plus, thanks. It's great to be here. As I said, I, I, I want to focus a fair amount of our time together on, the, on your most recent experience in Spurion, but you've had a, you know, shall we say a meandering route to get there? Uh, share with the folks, you know, what's the path been that's got you to this current position that you're in right now? You, you know how these things work less, right? You're, you're, you head off to college, you know exactly what you're going to do and have it all scripted out from the time you're, you're a freshman to the time you retire. And it all follows exactly that path. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, or, or maybe not so much. So yeah, my, uh, my, my first role out of college, I reflect on it often, I was an accountant. And, uh, another one, me too. Uh, I get and no, no disparaging to any accountants out there. As a matter of fact, I was right. a horrible one. I hated it and it wasn't me. But uh, it was the only job available. So I said, that, that's for me. Um, it was actually a little bit of a bait and switch. I was, I was offered a job to, to be a purchasing a junior purchasing agent at a refinery in New Orleans. And uh, when I got down there, traveled on down, they said, no, that job's not here anymore. You can be the capital projects accountant. And I said, you really, you really don't want me doing that. And they said, well, that's fine. If you don't want to do that, you, you can leave. I'm like, I am your man. I'm, I'm exactly <laughs> always dreamed of for this job. Um, but I mean, it, it, that every role that you have teaches you something. So from that role being, okay, this isn't where I want to be, I don't think. But what, what can I get out of this that's going to, and of course, when you're you know, 23 years old, you don't recognize that all of it when you're going through it. I realized I didn't like it. And I realized that what I did was monotonous. So I figured I'd just change it. This process can be done and I'll automate this and I'll change this. And I took what was a full-time job and I turned it into 15 minutes of an admin's work uh, once a week. And they said, huh. I said, yeah, the job doesn't exist anymore. So I'd like to, I'd like to have the ones I applied for. Which, and that just kind of started a trend with me. I was always looking at, is there an easier way to do this? Is there a way to build a process around this? Is there a way to eliminate it? And that kind of set the, set the tone for my career for the first eight or nine years or so, which I spent in business process reengineering roles, some with mobile. Worked for Bausch & Lomb for a bit up in Rochester, New York. Um, then I went into uh, high tech. My first job in high tech was working for Packard Bell NEC. For those that remember that company, that was out in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. So I traveled out there and did some customer success stuff. And what I really realized that I, all that was teaching me was I enjoyed business where the transaction happened. I enjoyed the people side of business. And the more I can get involved in making an impact on the people side, the better off I'd be. So the last 15 years or so, I've been working in sales and marketing and executive operations roles for, for tech companies since then. So that's kind of how I got here. Very cool. And what was it that attracted you to take uh, the present CEO role in Spirion? I mean, obviously, you know, all the usual stuff, but when you looked at it as a company, what were the challenges that you felt? Yeah, I, I would enjoy that. Well, it's, it's interesting because I remember when I met with the, uh, our chairman and uh, the original, it was just an introductory conversation and uh, they were looking for a sales leader at the time. And I said, nah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm working to, I'm just working a startup in, in cybersecurity and I was a chief revenue officer there and I was enjoying that working for somebody that I'd worked for in the past. So I was like, this is kind of an equivalent. And uh, he said, well, would you, would you like to be the CEO? Mm -hmm. And I said, mm, I don't know. And he said, well, that wasn't a very convincing answer. And I said, well, it's got to be the right fit. Um, it's got to be the right fit in terms of what my skill set is, what I'm passionate about. I, I don't want to go 
um, work for an organization where, where I'm so far disconnected from making an impact. I've, I've realized that the last 70 years of my career, I didn't want to say, well, I make, I make wireless access points that connect to devices. Those devices connect to applications that then connect to things that connect to patients. So therefore, I save lives for a living. It just it was too long of a string for me. So I, I needed to be something where I, I could make an impact, and it needed to be something to leverage my skill set. I, I am not an engineer, as my development people will tell you. Um, so coding is not my thing. But he said, look, what this company really needs is it, it's got to get its culture re-anchored. It's got to get its strategy and its vision reset to match the market of today. Um, and it needs somebody that's going to help lead us from being a 15-year-old technology company, which is what we were, with a, a good installed base of clients, but transition that to a, a more modern organization, both technically as well as culturally. So I said, well, that's, that's a little bit more in my wheelhouse. That's what attracted me to you. So before we get into some of the, you know, peel back a little bit and get into some of those challenges and how they've been developing over the last year or so, uh, uh, tell the listeners, uh, you alluded to it just briefly there, but tell us a bit more about what Spirion does. Tell us about, a bit about your marketplace. Share whatever you're comfortable with that would give us a general sense of its size. Yeah, so I, I always try to come up with analogies that help, uh, help visualize what we do because I've been in technology so long. Trying try to explain uh, Wi-Fi to, to my mother was just never something that was going to work. So I've always tried to find a way to couch it. Something. So similar with Spirion, if, if you picture um, if you picture your your junk drawer in your kitchen, everybody's got that one drawer. Where the everything drawer. Yeah, the everything yeah. drawer or the, or the console of your car. I, right. I drive a truck, and inside the console of the truck, you think, well, what exactly is in there? If I, if I were to ask you, what are the what are fifteen things in there? You can probably name five, like the scotch tapes in there, and then this. But you'd start. You know it's full, but you don't really know right. what it is. Um, and Spirion is very similar, but we do the same thing with data. So organizations have data everywhere. And if you were to ask them where things are, they could give you, well, that's going to be in this file store. It's going to be in this server. It's in this application. Right. But over 20 years, there's been a lot of other stuff shoved into those drawers. Um, and with the advent of cloud computing, that stuff replicates. So let's take the console of my truck because I cleaned it out this weekend. Right. In that I found an old credit card. Because <laughs> it was one that had expired, so I just chucked it in there when I was trying to get, get something through the drive-through. Right. I found receipts from the last time I got new tires. Um, I found an old iPhone that I think my kids were using as a as a toy at some point. You just find all kinds of stuff in there. Um, the challenge is, is that that's physical things I can put my hands around, and I can say, "Well, this is more important, and this is valuable, and this isn't." And you know, when I do get out of my truck, I'll lock my iPad in that same spot. But with data, how do you tell the difference between the lunch menu and last year's tax returns? You can't. Right. And the other thing with data is as soon as you save it once, like, like you'll probably save a recording of this. It'll update itself to Dropbox. So it'll be saved there. And then just to be really sure, you're going to save it to your external drive. Well, that's like when you email something to somebody. You blind copy yourself. It's saved in your exchange outbox. Your data, it's just replicating everywhere. So what we help companies do is identify those bits of data that are important, which typically have to do with individuals or company secrets. Um, so sensitive data as it pertains to social security numbers, credit card numbers, healthcare information. So we can help segregate that out from the general population of stuff in the junk drawer and say, you might want to secure this stuff a little bit differently. And that's really what we're in the business of doing is helping to, helping to find those bits that if you were compromised from a security standpoint, um, that's the thing the bad guys are after. So make sure you got a really good handle on that. Right. And where do you sit in the marketplace? Um, we, we were a pioneer in the space. The space was, I don't want to call it nation. It was always interesting. Um, it gets a lot more interesting when somebody gets breached and that's when you get a lot of phone calls. Yeah. They're like, well, maybe, maybe we need to have some of that stuff. But it was one of those things where it's like, we're going to build the firewall first. We're going to, 
we're going to build the, the giant fences around. And now what people are starting to realize is the fences aren't keeping the bad guys out. So maybe we should start looking at what's inside. Let's start looking at the target. And everybody talks about the threat surface in terms of devices and, and, and cybersecurity. What's the threat surface in terms of how much data you have that's sensitive? So things are starting to turn this direction for, that's one reason. The second one is, is privacy. Because five, six, seven years ago, 15 years ago, when, when the guys, uh, the two guys that founded the company are still on my board, and n nobody really cared about privacy. They did. They, right. they were absolute zealots about it. But now you have laws like in uh, Europe with the GDPR. Here in the U.S., you've got CCPA. You've got the SHIELD Act. So you've got more and more of these laws being passed every day saying, hello, companies, you need to protect that sensitive data. And the first right. thing they say is, well, how do I find it? So right. those two things have really taken what was a relatively slow, interesting, which we were, were always ranked one of the top technologically. Well, now it's into a whole exploding market of, of data privacy and data security. That's a, a whole different thing for this one product company to deal with. So interesting right. times. Good. Fascinating. And uh, if we can turn to the leadership of all of that, Kevin, uh, as you had that, what sounded like relatively informal discussion turned into a job interview. I presume you did a little bit more due diligence, yeah, all that sort of stuff. A little bit more after that, for sure. Uh, share with us a little bit about just as you go into this role, oh, was it just over a year ago? Yes, sir. Uh, what did you think were going to be the big moving parts in terms of challenges as the newly arrived president and CEO? And how has that mapped out now that you've been there long enough to know what the reality is? Yeah, so... Um, Again, what was really explained to me is a good company, good product, um, good customers needed product, not a product that was going to be something going away, but I, I knew it needed to be modernized. So the, the platform itself was a little bit long in the tooth. There hadn't been a, enough features added to match where the market's at. The market had moved to SaaS, cloud-based applications. We, we weren't on-prem product at the time. So I knew we had some work to do there. I knew we also had some work to do. Um, with the team, as you always do when, when you come in and you kind of say, who, who can take us to where we need to go, not where we've been? Okay. And I also knew there was some cultural impact because there had been a lot of change on this little company. We had two different private equity owners. Um, we had the founders that were in and the founders that were out and they were back in again. So there, there was a lot of change. There was also a lot of new hires. Uh, when I had my first all-hands meeting where I brought everybody together, I said, how many people have been here less than a year? And it was three-quarters of the room. Oh, my. So a lot of why it was founded and what the history of the company was, there wasn't a lot of that there. So I knew I had to put a lot of that together. I leaned very heavily on the founders in terms of creating that mystique um, that, that comes with, you know, we're the guys that quit our jobs and went and had a, had a vision and pounded our fist in the table and said, there's got to be a better way to do this. So I really pulled them in. I, and I recorded a lot of what they did, a lot of why they did what they did. Um, so their, their presence still looms large here, which was important. What I didn't realize um, coming in was how tumultuous the market was. Um, I, I was, I was, I felt it was a pretty tried and true technology that people understood what it was and we would just kind of take it to the cloud and maybe do a couple of different things with it and things would be grand. But right at that same time was when all these privacy regulations were hitting and the amount of funding that's gone into fund my competitors, billions of dollars have been pumped into this market in the last 12 months. There's been more people enter my market in the last, I'd say 18 months than in the previous 10 years. So it's, mm. that, that's the part I wasn't counting on. Uh -huh. So you have these cultural issues uh, and, and remarkably difficult to maintain a culture with any of founders not running it, but still around uh, one 
venture capital investor let alone two uh, and relatively new employees any one of those would tear a culture apart so you've got all of those going on and you've got the tumult which was new to you um tell us a little bit about what's what was your what is your toolkit did you know what you're stepping into a president ceo role by this stage you've developed some big lego bricks that you can come and apply i'm assuming i'd love you to just share a little bit what you know what was your toolkit what did you what did you reach for to help you to uh, address those issues well uh, since i'm always a fan of alliteration i use that everywhere i possibly can okay. I, I don't even know why but my team picks on me for it um, the, the first thing that I've always, I would say the last six or seven leadership roles I've had is to try to get, get to this point of purpose. What's the purpose of the organization at, at the CEO scale, or even if it's at the, uh, running a sales team or running an operations team, what's the purpose of this company? What's our role inside that purpose? So, uh, I'm a, I'm a Simon Sinek fan in terms of understanding why and really trying to dig underneath that why conversation so that you realize you're working for something bigger than maybe the brand that's on your business card. And let that be at the CEO spot. It's, it's easier to be able to make that connection directly to the brand or the purpose of the company. But sometimes you got to take it to the purpose of the individual. So, you know, what, is, what are you trying to accomplish in the next three to five years? I know what the company is, but what about you? Because if you can tie into something that stretches somebody's ability to take themselves out of where they are today to where they want to be five years from now, you'd be amazed what kind of productivity and what kind of insights and what kind of employee you have. So you just take that to a macro scale and say, where do we want to be three to five years from now? Well, it's important to go back and say, well, you know, why did they start the thing in the first place? And in my case, spending a fair amount of time with the founders, it was clear as all get out that they started a data privacy company. They didn't know it at the time. And they thought during the middle part of this, it was a cybersecurity company because that's what you were supposed to call people that did what we did. But right. their, their defining moment was they, they, they were uh, ethical hackers for a large, um, a large accounting firm, GSI. Hmm. And what they did is they broke in after people say you can't break in and they found all the sensitive data land around and they'd say, okay, well, how did you break in? They're like, well, forget about that. They're like, you guys got to clean this up. That's, that's my mother's data. That, that's my, that's my neighbor's data. That, that's my dentist data. This, this is the important stuff and nobody would listen to them. And that was the reason why they left. So connecting the company back to that purpose was I'd say the first part of the journey. And that's, uh, that's proved incredibly valuable, especially going through what we've been going through. The, the next one, so that's the first P. That's my so, so just before we just before yes. we get, come to the next one, it, it, what what were the what was the dirty fingernail work in making that happen? Was that you know having umpteen stand up all staff meetings? Was it you know doing voice broadcasts? Was it having strategic offsites? Was it mentoring individual leaders? Was it all of the above? You know what what would the what's the hard wiring that you used to start all of that? Yeah. So the first one was as again for my particular situation, getting those founders back, and I would say if it's not founders, get somebody that was was core to the the strategy that you're trying to implement. Right. So for me, clear as day. So I put those guys on stage and I interviewed them. Not not dissimilar from the conversation you and I are having. Why did you start the company? What was that dispounding moment? Tell me about the early days. Um, and they actually started this company off as a consumer company because they thought that less would be, you know, I've got all this information on my laptop. I got last year's tax returns. The same way I have an antivirus on here, I'm going to have an anti-sensitive data. Well, so they have boxes. I have pictures of them on the Martha Stewart show, you know, selling their wares, kind of taking that journey. So I spent a good 90 minutes in front of everybody and I recorded it. Right. Walking through that, we had scripted it ahead of time so it can be an artifact as they took a step farther away from the business 
but I could still have that, again, that mystique that follows founders around. And then it was a matter of just constant communication. Um, We always talk seven times, seven different ways, times seven. I mean, it's just a nonstop conversation. And we settled on, we protect what matters most, which is not a not uncommon tagline for companies, but it's truly who we are. I mean, really absolutely who the company is. So people have been able to lean into that. They all parrot that. We tied it into our interview process. Um, you know, what happened? Tell me an example of when your personal identity was, was stolen, breached, or something that might have happened to somebody close to you. And we bring that right into the interview process with where we hire. And that's really helped it proliferate through the company. So um, you can ask okay. anybody here. They'll tell you what we did. So that's your first peak. I first interrupted peak. you. No, no, no. And I will do the same. So we will carry on throughout the discussion. The second one's perspective. We're a private equity company. Um, we've got 120 or so employees. Uh, most are based here in the Florida area, but we've got people scattered about. We've got some international hires now. But understanding who, who we are and who we're not and really being able to put perspective into who you are as a private equity held company, what that means, how private equity works. It's not a bad thing. It's not a scary thing. It just works differently than VC money, than being publicly traded or being founder owned. In. But really trying to get that perspective to say, okay, here's what the market looks like. Here's what we've fit historically. Here's where we want to go. Here's what our shareholders want out of this. But making sure that perspective is common across the organization. Because if you don't take a minute to say, there are other constituents in this mix. There's customers, there's partners, there's shareholders. But being able to get that perspective on who you are, that, that real look in the mirror, ah, that that's who we are, is the critical next step. Because that, that's what then, I think, stops a lot of the a lot of the questionings of the whys and shouldn't we do it this way and shouldn't we do it that way? Well, yeah, if we were publicly traded or yeah, if we were this or yeah, if we were, but we're not, this is who we are. You know, it's, Was that mostly a clarification of a fact, the reality of who you were or was yeah. there any degree of, was there any degree of pivot in that? No, it was, it was a clarification of who we are back to the purpose though. So these, these right. are sequential. So right. when I said it had to go back to the word data privacy, Right. So that, that was a little bit clarifying. And there was some debates, even with the founders. And they were like, no, we're not. We're a cybersecurity company. I'm like, guys, why did you start this company? And because getting off of that, because being a cybersecurity is the, it's the darling of the industry. That's where you want to be, right? Well, like, yeah, but that's not who we are. <laughs> so let's, let's lean into who we are. And then also get those other pieces are important elements in that too. Right. So I, I, one of the things I've noticed, Kevin, whenever, uh, and the reason I've asked you that question is that, Whenever I see organizations do just what you've said, which is to take something that has got sort of foggy, you know, and, and it's not just that clear. And it's a, a, to me, the word picture is like you take a cloth and you clean the lens and the camera and then you, know, you look through it. And oh, wow. And that's a really clear picture. One of the things that um, almost always happens is that you realize in pretty quick retrospect that one of the advantages of keeping it foggy doesn't explain it, doesn't excuse it, and it's not right, but one of the advantages is it allows some of the old guard to hang in there because nobody's really making it clear, no, we're not that anymore. And that often what happens when you bring that clarity, you know, like turning the lens and you get the picture, is that some of the previous high performers who got the business where it was here get uncomfortable with that and say, well, if that's the case, I don't know if this is the journey now for me. Did you experience any of that? Yeah, and, and it brings up a, a, a good point. So yes, on some of the old guard, 
remembering though that I didn't have a lot of old guard left, which was a challenge. Right. So I, I, I didn't have, I mean, trying to bring in industry DNA and other pieces was a challenge, but I also right. had that you're at different places in the journey. So right. you can use sports analogies, whatever you want to have. Sometimes you need a different player for a different spot. And there was one realm of when uh, the firm was acquired uh, by private equity in 2018, there's a lot of that typical cleanup stuff to do, right? Fix this process, fix that, right. change this. Well, that only takes you so far. Then being able to take you to, we're now in a massive growth business because we have that clear lens. This is where we need to get to. And what was okay is just, that's not the skill set that we're going to need to get us over here. So making some of those decisions um, were hard because they've done good work. Sure. They've done exactly what was asked of them, right. um, but they weren't the right person to do the next thing that needed right. to get done. Not that it was harder or easier. It was just a different thing. So making some of those changes was... Uh, was difficult, but also clarifying for the company. Yeah, it's, it's, it, and I just, just, you know, refer back to Jim Collins' great phrase about getting the right people on the bus, and that's yeah. great, and it is right. The difficulty is when you take that bus into a, a bridge and it comes out the other side, it's not the same bus anymore. You know, you transport, it's not even a bus, it's something that's like a drone or something. And <laughs> the people who were the right people for then, understandably, are, not all of them are the right people for now. And that, that, you know, that's not a, a negative or a judgment. It's just, as you say, you're at different phases. So, okay, so we've got purpose, we've got perspective. What else did, we, did you have in your toolkit? After, after you have those first two, then you can prioritize. But don't start, don't start trying to prioritize until you have a real good clarity on the first two. Right. Because otherwise, you'll be prioritizing all the wrong stuff. Correct. Okay. And that was... Um, some of this stuff had to happen in parallel. We realized some of our prioritization wasn't what it needed to be, but leaning back into those, because all this stuff's happening in real time, as it does in business. You don't have this whole, you can just do this stuff sequentially. So prioritization. And then the last one is productivity, because when you got the first three, then it's about really getting the execution engine humming so that right. you can productively get done what you need to get done in line with the priorities, with a good handle on the perspective while communicated across the company, but never losing focus on that purpose. So. Those are, right. those are my four. That's my, that's my four P's. Right. And the priority, when you get to, uh, I'm thinking about this just as you share it, uh, it's fascinating. So I see purpose, you reaching back to the founder. So you're right at the, you know, the core, the heart of the business there. And, and you really got the one that's got to be the bridge for all of that. Um, and then the perspective, again, you're the one to implement and initiate that. I'm assuming by the time you're getting to prioritization, you're beginning to push out and you're, you're really having to have your, what we call in predictable success, your T2, your management team, not just the senior leadership team. They have to, they have to shoulder that, I'm assuming at that point. And then by the time you're at productivity, that's right at the runway level. That's everybody in the organization's got to learn to block and tackle. So is it, am I right in the thinking that this feels like it's a sort of a radial thing that starts at the core and works out towards the edges yeah. of the organization? And you hit the hinge point very spot on. So in terms of getting from that point of perspective to prioritization, right. that, that's, that's where you're into what I, um, what my team affectionately calls the Kevin said syndrome. Right? <laughs> so I have to be very conscious about saying, I need everybody to do what I mean, not what I say. Right. Because because if you do what I say, we're all going to be in trouble. Because um, because when you sit in this chair, people will do what you say because yes. Kevin said it. But I, I've been on calls where like well, Kevin said. If I did, I, it's very very possible that I did, but I could not be further away from what I meant. So so we have constant conversations. But getting from that perspective to priority, you, you got to eliminate the Kevin said. So we, we laugh about it internally. And say, is that a Kevin said? No, that's that's, that's that's yeah, but that's not what Kevin meant. 
Well, you're, you're in, uh, in our terminology, uh, a visionary synergist leader. Uh, so, you know, you're very strong on the, on the vision, obviously, it comes across clearly in the call. But with the synergist side as well, what that means is you're not one of those uh, visionaries that wants to stand alone. You want to work with a team, so you probably communicate, over-communicate. You combine that with the visionary's natural, natural style, which is to talk, to think. That's how visionaries think. As they talk, they want a discussion to think, you know? And so there's an awful lot of stuff that's just a preamble to coming to a conclusion. But as you say, if you happen to be the president and the CEO, people are looking around and saying like, did he want us to do that? Yeah. Where do we start? <laughs> How can we possibly get all this stuff done? He has no idea what he's doing. So it's a constant <laughs> recalibration. This is not what Kevin said. And so I have to be very open about that. I will start, especially in this age of COVID, where we're all on these screens. Right? Literally, a uh, quick inside story is, I, I would typically have, you can see a glass wall back behind me, and that's what we use our whiteboard. So we'll, we right. scribble on stuff, we talk to things. You can't do that in, in right. the case of COVID. So our office still right. shut down. We've got no more than five people in here. So how do you share that? You know, six people have been in your office. You've been talking about things all day and it's continuing to get better and you iterate that is, is I built something in PowerPoint because it was the only way to take this, this whiteboard that had been literally scribbled on hand or white. But if you put something in PowerPoint, it looks very official. Right. So it's no longer the scribbles on Kevin's yes. wall. It's this yes. formal documents yeah. of it. And it's even that's more. That's a life of its own. <laughs> it's got even more import. Yeah, exactly. I think what you want to do is you want to put a little blue flag or something on the corner of every page that's just you thinking <laughs> out loud. Uh, so uh, you come in, you r recognize you have uh, these challenges ahead of you. Um, share with us a little bit about where, where you saw, see, Spirion in the life cycle when you came in and how did that help if it did help in, in attacking it? Yeah, so uh, this company went through all the traditional stages, right? And I'd spent my time career-wise um, on some of the, the further end of the stage, very mature companies that have been through, yeah. you know, not headed towards death rattle, but in the conversation, definitely have I've spent some quality time on treadmills, so I'll, I'll go there. <laughs> but if you look back to the founders, these two guys were the, you know, we're going to pay make payroll credit cards and have a, uh, you know, a two by two office in New York city where everybody stands like this. So they went through all this stuff. I wasn't there for that. Right. So it's very difficult for me to carry that, that torch. They went through that and made a very successful company and had a very successful exit for themselves. Um, lots of customers got themselves to 30, 40 employees. So they definitely hit the fun stage. Uh, what private equity is asking us to do is that's interesting, but I, I really would like to have predictable success. I'd like to have it yesterday. Kevin would be great. So, um, I knew the path that we'd be going through. I didn't have a word for it. I stumbled across your work kind of in the middle of that. And remembering at that same time, this time last year, we also decided to build six new products, um, enter privacy market full on force. So now we're going to have a company that's only ever built one product, build six, only ever built it on-prem, take it to the cloud. So now i got to build security operations centers. And oh, by the way, we don't have the processes to barely be able to function today, much less in that type of environment. So, we talk about being thrust into an, an epic cat seven whitewater in the mix, but we didn't have a word for it, but we felt it and the company felt it. And it was, it was very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, for me, change is awesome. I don't mind stirring things up, but a lot of people just can't operate that way. And once we found that word and we can even put the visual, you'll see occasional slide decks, you'll see people chugging through the whitewater. But once they can put a touchstone to it and say, ah, we're just at a phase. This is a phase we have to go through. And then the other end of the phase is, is much calmer waters. 
the appetite, I would say the anxiety goes down because right. now they realize this is not a permanent state and that there's a method to the madness. And there's also from a productivity standpoint, they now can say, how can I lean in to lay down some of the tracks that are here? Because of course we don't have a process for that because we never had one. Whereas before it was, what do you mean you have no process for that? And just a change in tone by being able to clearly identify where we were. So it's been huge. It's still, you know, we, we talk about, we probably got another good three to four months left. And they look at me like I'm nuts. I'm like, there's just, <laughs> we're just not going to get out of it. If we, we can be totally internally focused and get us out of the whitewater and we'll totally miss the market. So that, that's, that's the nature of the beast. So did you socialize the term and, and uh, use it as a, as part of the toolkit? Uh, yep. You know, did you get your folks to understand what, 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 what? so how, huh. how, what was the, as you shared that, what was the, uh, how did they receive that? What, did it make a difference that you could call this a thing? Yeah, a couple things happened. So first I had a couple people resign hmm. because now that they realized it was a thing, they didn't feel they could fix it and they knew they weren't comfortable in things like that. Um, oh. And some people come out of government that, that were, I'm going to right. come into the job and I'm going to do my thing. It's like, well, how long am I going to be in this? I can't survive in this for this. That's just not going to work. Right. Um, I, I realized that it had become um, cultural because I, I, I don't interview everybody in the company, but I'll, I'll spot check or I'll help or right. When, by the time they got to me for an interview, they were talking about the white water. Hmm. So these are candidates coming through the organization saying, and I understand you guys are in the white water and that's actually where I do my best work. And that's what I enjoy doing is helping people get through. But that's when I realized that it'd become much bigger than a, a Kevin said, uh, it'd become part of it. Uh, so uh, one of the things you said just in passing there, I, I actually took a second and jotted it down. Uh, you sort of doubled down on the whitewater side of things. Most team executive teams would grapple only with the internal whitewater or if it's what hit them first, the external aspects. But you, you decided to take both on. Is that a conscious decision or did you not have any option or was it a mistake or, you know, I, I, just to be transparent, why would you take on such yeah. a broad swathe of things to do? No, uh, it was, it was, it was definitely conscious. So I mean, you can question my sanity. That's fair. <laughs> um, but sometimes, sometimes you don't have a lot of options. All right. So right. I'm coming in uh, to the company brought in by, by the shareholders to, you know, we got to get this thing on the on the right tracks. So Kevin, you got a track record of some good cultural stuff, also a good process guy at your core. So so that that'll help us a ton. Then as we dug into the the purpose of the company, as just part of getting the culture right, that's when we had this epiphany right. that we were a data privacy company, and that's when we realized, well, holy crap, we are we are not equipped to compete there. Right. Um, and then we looked around at literally the billions of dollars being poured into not just competitors, but startups everywhere. And we said, if we don't, if we don't start doing something now, we might get all of our processes humming. I might be able to start doing 15 to 20% growth quarter on quarter of my legacy product. And maybe I can get into the cloud, um, but I'm going to totally miss the market. And I'm not going to get the, you know, the valuation that the PE guys want, et cetera. So we didn't really have a choice. It was forced on us by the market, but we also knew if I just chased the external stuff, right. I've got no processes to build that on. Right. So I, I've got to take on some of these internal stuff at the same time. So it is, right. we're, we're, we're definitely in the white water, but I have the benefit now of looking back a year and where I would say it was fairly calm. Then we threw ourselves into the epic white water. I can see a ton of great work done by the team and both um, culturally process wise and where we're at. So I can see us coming out and just sometimes really hard to see that when you're you know upside down in a, in a cat six. 
um, section of the river. <laughs> That's absolutely true. So <laughs> uh, uh, obviously we don't make any hostage to fortune, but um, what do you sense? You sense you've got another year, two years, three years of this? What do you feel? Um, I think we've got next year's i mean well yeah and we forgot to mention a pandemic got thrown in the middle of it. Uh, yeah 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 forgot to mention that little thing <laughs> yeah. so, so yeah. That, that 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 one definitely that helped right that wasn't in the small print when i took the job um <laughs> so as we get uh, more accustomed to this uh this new normal of working from home and different things that are going on clients etc i think the middle of next year we're gonna we'll still be rolling but it's gonna be nowhere as intense as it is right now we we are in the, the epicenter of it right now. We've, we've launched three of the six new products. They're all 1.0 products, so they're in their infancy. I'm starting the transition of existing customers. We've sold the first one. So all that's gonna continue to be the mark, uh, the mile markers along the river of change, right. which is another very important part of this process that, that I need to get a bit better at, is showing that we're not in the same spot in the river that we were two months ago, right. that we've actually made progress farther down it. Um, still gonna be a little chaotic. So next year should be a lot calmer towards the end of the year. Uh, but some of that depends on the market too. I can't control what's happening externally, but internally we'll definitely be in better shape. Well, for what it's worth, not that just why we're having this discussion, but um, something I would pass on to you, the pattern that you're in is uh, pretty classic, which is a good thing to know, right? Um, what I have discovered over the years is that um, a, a, a tricky thing that can be uh, very uh, disheartening if you don't recognize it and incredibly heartening if you do recognize it, is that the initial signs of real genuine change is not suddenly hitting goals and targets and milestones and successes. It's a realization that we're not filling in potholes anymore, that you know we're back on the road, we're making progress, we're driving, we're going forward, we haven't got there yet, but we're not having to stop every five minutes and take a bucket of tar and fill in a pothole. And, and it's, it's that realization of, oh, we're not doing the remedial stuff anymore. That's that's the first phase. And it sounds like you're very close to that. Yep. Uh, two, two things before we close, Kevin. Um, you know, you take a big career leap as you did. We go into stuff like that. There's all of the stuff that we know we know, right? You know, you, you clearly knew uh, your leadership, you knew market shifts. And there's the stuff that you know you don't know. You self Avidly said, you know, I'm not an engineer. I know I don't know that stuff. So I presume you just get the right people around you. Um, and if either of those two categories are what knocks us off, then we're for loss because, you know, that stuff we know we know it shouldn't and stuff that we know we don't know we should have fixed that. What gets us is the stuff that back then you didn't know you didn't know. Right? You just, I didn't know that. And I didn't even know. I didn't know what, what, it, what have you bumped into in this last year that you didn't know you didn't know? What's just new, new uh, challenge-wise to you? Well, this is going to sound somewhat like I'm, I'm pandering to the interviewer, but I'm not. Um, and it came from a couple different directions. I, I would never have labeled myself a visionary. Um, it's just most of my career, I was known as the process guy. Right. I was, I was the guy that, you know, give it to Kevin um, and he'll get it done. He gets stuff done. Like you did with that very first job and that's what i carried throughout my whole career i wanted to be the guy that my boss or vp never had to worry about i'm gonna go worry about everybody else because i know kevin's he might not have made this quarter but he's doing everything exactly right so so i was 
a rule five. They didn't get on radar screens. So that's what it was known as. So, but that said, my, my tendencies were definitely, I, I, I think out loud, I'm thinking with my hands and I'm going with stuff. And that realization uh, came somewhat from, from your stuff. Also, I've read some um, Gina Whitman stuff in terms of uh, the EOS attraction mm -hmm. of those components and going through that and talking about the visionary and the integrator. And I'm like, well, I think I might be one of those visionary things, people. Right. <laughs> so, but it, 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 and that sounds, I know that's, that's introspective, but at the same time, what that casts in this role is made very, very impactful. Sure. So bringing that to my conscious right. has been a huge thing. I had no clue going into this. I was just being me is what I thought. <laughs> I didn't recognize that being me had implications further than I thought. Um, so being able to understand that. And then also that the, I'd say the bigger part of that is being able to start looking at my team and saying, well, I got to fill this thing out because you right. can't have to. And by the way, it's okay to be the visionary that actually adds value. That was the other problem as a process guy. I'm like, those guys don't do anything. They just wave their hands around and do much. It's important. It's a very important part, especially in this company where it sits right now. But sure. also, Stan, I, I got to have some people that are pretty operationally focused and some process right. focused folks. And, and the, the synergist thing is natural for me, but really understanding how do I build up my leadership team so we're complementary. Um, and it, and it, at best, make sure that we're not subconsciously not embracing each other's natural tendencies. So right. that's been a very big thing for me going into this job that I did not recognize. That's, that's very helpful. And uh, I'm so pleased that that was of use to it. I think self-awareness really helps us to hone our, our toolkit, essentially. We, we, you know, we can reach for things that otherwise you'd have thought, no, that's not for me to use. But then you realize, yes, it is. And um, I think to your point, putting a word to it, I promise that I interrupt at least once. Like the whitewater, <laughs> we, we, put, we put a word to whitewater and now it's right. a thing that you can, instead of saying, I, I feel like things are chaotic, you can like, right. it's a thing. And it's the same with visionary, that label. Right. Then you can say, well, it's a thing and, and versus saying, Kevin kind of acts this way. So right. very helpful to give it a name. Uh, it, it, when folks said to me, look, you know, I only have time for you to do one thing for me. What would it be? And I said, I'd give you a bunch of shared vocabulary. There's nothing stronger than knowing when this person says this thing about this important uh, issue that you know exactly what they mean by that word. And yep. they know what you mean by it as well. And so finally, uh, what, what, would a, what will a big win look like for you in 2021? Set the pandemic side of stuff aside. That's, you, neither you nor I are going to fix that. But what would be a big win for you in Spirit in 2021? Um, a big win for us, it, it, this is uh, probably not going to be the most inspirational thing, but you had mentioned that we're not filling potholes anymore. Right. So, so if we can feel like we're moving down a road, and start to steal some of the mile water and white water's coming down a little bit. Uh, what, the, the industry that we're in, what we do, how we do it, the, the, the algorithms underneath our product are fantastic. I mean, it's just a really great product and a great group of people. So it's just matter, it's harnessing that and being able to, to really open it up on the road a little bit. I guess I'll put it that way. Instead of having to keep right. it as slow as we are and hitting all the potholes, worry about the thing, you know, shattering our bones when we hit a big one, being able to say, you know what, now we can go ahead and maybe put this thing in second gear and take it into third gear. That would be a lot of fun. Right. Well, folks, if uh, you want to help Kevin reach that goal next year, and you, if you have got a digital everything drawer, <laughs> and I know I have, just go to spirion.com, S-P-I-R-I-O-N.com, find out what they do. Uh, we've got 
Kevin's uh, contact details right here on this page. You can reach out, talk to him directly. Uh, I'm sure, Kevin, you'd be delighted to talk to any of the Predictable Success tribe who would like to use your stuff. And I want to get you to promise to come back in a couple of years and tell us how uh, it's like being out of Whitewater. I would love that. Looking forward to it. Uh, thanks again. Last thanks. <laughs>